It's funny, I was talking to Cody, one that played the piano and led us. I said, Cody, sometimes people come up to me and say, man, we really like you on the platform. I, you know, appreciate that. And I'm like, thank you. And I thought it was maybe preaching. And then they said, it's neat how you play the piano and sing. I go, oh, that's Cody. They go, yeah, that's Cody. And, they get, and they're like, yeah, now we're close. We understand that. There's 25 years difference, you know. So I appreciate the music here. I'll tell you, when you preach, you get here kind of early. They're always here on Sunday mornings working so hard so we can worship the Lord. And I just appreciate them so much. Well, thank you for giving me a chance to preach. Bad news is I'm here next week too. So (laughs) part one and part two. Hope in a world that's falling apart is what we're going to be talking about today. I don't think I need to convince you that the world is falling apart, right? You pretty much know that. All right, good. But you know, we're not the only generation that has lived in a world that is falling apart, right? We sometimes get so self-centered. Think, oh, no, no civilization has had it as bad as us. I mean, we've had COVID. <laughs> and COVID was bad. But when you stop and think about it, every civilization has lived in a world that is falling apart, right? From the very time that the first couple disobeyed God and plunged the human race into a fallen state of sin. And it wasn't long after that that no sooner did Adam and Eve get escorted out of the garden that their oldest son in cold-blooded murder killed the youngest son. And everything ran downhill from there. 1,600 years later in Noah's time, the word of God says that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I can't imagine that. Every single thought that man had was evil continually. And when the apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, fast forward to encourage them, He said, you are to shine as lights in a crooked and perverse generation. And here we are, still in a crooked and perverse generation. So I have a question. Can a Christian still be hopeful in a world that's falling apart? Yes. Yes. I mean, I sure hope so. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 14? He said, Peace I leave you, peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, we can be hopeful. So somehow I can be concerned about this world that's falling apart. But on the other hand, I can have this incredible supernatural peace that Jesus promised he would give me. And he is giving us because I heard you all say yes. CNN had a, has an online faith section. <laughs> I look, look up oxymoron. That's, that's what it is. It had an article entitled, Rapture Anxiety, How Ex-Christians Are Struggling with Trauma Over End Times Teaching. And we would call that conviction, I have a feeling. 
They start the article, could teaching what's described in the Bible as the blessed hope actually be a source of anxiety or trauma to these young ex-Christians? Now listen, if you're here this morning online, welcome. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I don't want this to be traumatic for you as we talk about the end times. I really don't. I want it to be more of a life preserver, okay? A life preserver in the ocean of all the lies and deceit that we sometimes find ourselves swimming in. That's what I want this morning for you. That you would see Christ and you would, you would there is hope here and there is help here and there is love here and there is forgiveness here. So hope's not on the way. Hope is right here in the word of God that we're opening this morning. And I'm not talking about a generic hope. The sun will come out tomorrow, bet your bottom dollar. I'm talking about a biblical hope that says, I am so excited about the things that God has for me in the future that it's giving me joy right now in the present. Right? The word for anticipation in the Bible, in the Greek, it is, um, I am on my tiptoes looking to see what God has for me. So I wouldn't mind at the end of this service if you're just spiritually on your tiptoes, awaiting and anticipating what God has for us, because that's what he wants. That's what he wants. So we're going through Matthew 24. We're talking about Jesus' words to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. There he is on that Wednesday night before he was crucified. He is looking out on the city of Jerusalem. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives. His disciples ask him questions, and now he's telling them, how the destruction of the temple, and he's talking about the desolation and the destruction and the disasters that await the Jewish people and the world during the tribulation. And so so when you see Matthew 24, right in the margin of your Bible, this is the tribulation. It's the tribulation. Give you a reminder of what that is. I'm sure you know what it is. It's the seven-year period that Daniel the prophet spoke about in Daniel 9, And it's a time when God brings great judgment on the world. He deals with the nation Israel. And he gives man one last chance to repent and believe. That's what the tribulation is. Pastor Phil was explaining all these weeks that if we're seeing preliminary judgments, if we're seeing preliminary signs right now like lawlessness and false Christs and people falling away from the faith and persecution how close we must be to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we see those things now, he was saying. Look at Matthew 24, 21. There will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. Now, there has been some horrible times in our civilization. Remember when I said we have COVID-19? The Black Death of the 1300s ravaged Europe, Africa, and Asia. Over 200 million people died from that plague. You know, World War I and World War II alone, almost 100 million people died. But Jesus is warning his disciples in Matthew 24 that nothing, absolutely nothing will compare with what will happen during the seven-year tribulation in the future. And I know what you're thinking, because when I was writing this out, I was thinking the same thing. How are we supposed to be hopeful and joyful? You're taking us right into the tribulation. 
I'm not taking you into the tribulation. I'm keeping you from the tribulation. I'm not. Jesus is. And that's what gives us great hope this morning, okay? It gives us great hope. We can have, I've got three points. Really, I have two points. The last point that you see in your notes, I don't know if it's a fill-in, that's gonna catapult us to next week, part two, okay? So fill in whatever's there. If there's nothing there, circle something that you, maybe a word in that sentence that you'd, and we're done with, we're done with point three already. And if you've ever taught or preached in the first five minutes, when you already have the third point done, it gives you just great relief, okay? <laughs> that's what we'll be talking about next week. The gospel message will ultimately prevail, and that's gonna be an incredible time of the word of God. But this week, we're gonna be talking about, we will not be here during the tribulation. We will not be here. Write it in the index of your Bible by Matthew 24. We won't be here. We'll be in heaven, if you can fit all that in there. You say, well, I don't believe that. I think we'll have to go through the tribulation. Well, first of all, don't write that in your Bible then, okay? And you can disagree on this. But I believe there's strong scriptural support that says Christ will come and take us, his bride, before the tribulation starts. Let me tell you two things that we all agree on. Believe me, I have friends that believe in the mid-tribulation, the post-tribulation will be taken afterwards. Um, there's two things that we all agree on as Christians. Number one, not all believers will die. And number two, all Christians will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Those are two things you cannot argue. Let me give you some verses. Paul said, listen, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, okay? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed, you see? Whenever you see in the New Testament a writer say, I tell you a mystery. What he's doing is telling you something that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but now he's revealing it. The rapture wasn't in the Old Testament, okay? The, the second coming is. The day of the Lord, the second coming, the tribulation, okay? The day of wrath. The rapture was a mystery until Paul brings it up right here. And he says, we will not all sleep. Then he says, it's called the rapture of the church or the catching away of the church. You can use either one. It's when the Lord comes and takes us away. When he comes and takes us away, it will be fast. I don't know what a twinkling of an eye is. I don't know what a blinking of the eye is. Somebody says it's the, it's the amount of time it takes from light to get from your eye to your retina. You know, that's pretty quick, don't you think? So it's not gonna be slow. But when the Lord comes to take away his church, Christians will be in one of two states, okay? And I don't mean Illinois and Michigan. Uh, you'll either be dead or you'll be alive, right? Well, you say, what if I'm dead? You have an advantage. And I know you say, it doesn't sound like an advantage, but listen to this. First Thessalonians says, but we do not want you to be an uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Stop, look up here. Falling asleep in Jesus is a Christian term for dying. Your body falls asleep because it goes into the ground and it waits the resurrection, but your soul doesn't sleep. 
Your soul goes to be with God. So whenever you see falling asleep, just remember, bodies dead in ground, souls with Jesus Christ, okay? Just wanted to clear that up. I know you know that. For this, verse 15, we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. I love this passage. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's your advantage. Not yours, because you're not in the ground yet. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Oh, isn't that comforting? To know that all your loved ones are gonna be just resurrected and then you're gonna meet them in the air to meet Christ and then to go home with him. The word is a violent snatching away rapture. It's John 10, 28. No man is able to snatch them from my father's hand. Or it's 2 Corinthians 12, 2 when Paul says, I was caught up in the third heaven. You see, when the disciples were so depressed on the night Jesus was betrayed and they were feeling tremendous dread, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me, right? Then he says, in my father's rooms, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I know your Bible says mansion, but it's my father's house, there are many rooms. We're not gonna be living down the street from God. We're gonna be living in his house in one of the rooms he's prepared, all right? If it were so, I would have told you so, but I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So Christ is coming back for his bride. And guess who is his bride? The church of Jesus Christ, you see. I was doing some reading this week. <laughs> That's an understatement. Um, but I was reading on the Jewish marriage, and I was reminded, I forgot about this. There's three, there's three stages to the Jewish marriage. There's the betrothal, which means the parents or the groom pays a a promised price for his beloved. And then there's the preparation where the groom goes back and he adds a, adds a room onto his parents' house, usually. More than, usually he sometimes will build a house himself, but most of the time back there in that culture, they would just add a room on to the father's house. And then the third one is the celebration. He would come back with his bridal party and surprise the bride. That, this is what amazes me. I don't think most brides would like that now. Um, but he would come back, surprise the bride with the party, take her to the place he prepared for the celebration and the wedding feast. Are you, are you putting that together? Christ paid. You know, the Bible says you are bought with a what? A price. It was the precious blood that they were singing about of Jesus Christ, you see. And he bought us. And then he, I just read that verse, he went home and he is preparing a place for us. And then he will surprise us at any moment because the rapture, nothing has to happen. It could happen any moment in the twinkling of an eye, okay? And then he comes back and we have the celebration and we have the marriage supper of the Lamb and we're there forever Amen. until we come back at Revelation 19 and 
Armageddon, but we'll get to that later, all right? So where's the disagreement? I'm gonna show you a chart right here. The chart, the rapture and the second coming. So where, so you got that three and a half years, see right in the middle there? Right in the middle is the mid-tribulation. It's three and a half years. And the Bible says the Antichrist in Daniel 9, 27, will sign a peace treaty right there. And then here he breaks it, okay? He breaks the peace treaty in the three and a half years and he goes absolutely mental. Satan completely uh, fills his heart with demonic things and he starts killing the Jewish people and killing everyone who won't pledge allegiance in that. So that last three and a half years, it's called the Great Tribulation, and it is a nightmare. Next week, we'll just look a little bit on that. So some think we go before the tribulation, some think we go in the middle of the tribulation, and some think we go at the end. And I happen to believe that there are strong reasons uh, to believe that Christ will take us before. Now, there are wonderful men and women on both sides. If you meet somebody that says, I think we'll go in the middle of the tribulation, just say, honey, make sure we don't eat with them anymore. You know, I mean, it's not the end of, the, well, it is the end of the world, but it's not that big a deal. You can still have fellowship with that person, okay? There are good men and women on both sides. John MacArthur, who believes will be taken before the tribulation says if he's wrong, he's gonna march up to the uh, Antichrist headquarters and he's gonna preach the gospel to him so he could be one of the first martyrs. So that's an idea you could maybe write down just in case we're all wrong. Um, reasons for a pre-trib rapture. There's some good ones here. God's past record of rescuing the righteous. God's past record of rescuing the righteous. Second Peter 2.9 says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. When you see that word temptation, you can put trial, you can put test, you can put tribulation. So listen to this, that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from tribulation. That word could mean any of those. You remember uh, Enoch? God took him before the flood. Noah and his family, God took them before that severe judgment. Lot and his family, before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he took Lot. Matter of fact, he took him by force. Remember that? Rahab and her family, when they were getting ready to just destroy Jericho, the believing Rahab, God took her and her family out before they destroyed Jericho. God rescues his people before he brings severe judgment. Unless that judgment is supposed to be on them, okay? Like the Old Testament, <laughs> right? He didn't rescue the Jews from when Babylon came and, and took them away, or Assyria, right? Because he was judging them. He was judging them. And because God is dealing primarily in the tribulation with the nation Israel, and trying to get their, not trying to get their attention. God doesn't try to do anything. Um, he's getting their attention and he's bringing them to Jesus Christ. Since the tribulation is mainly the Jews, then we're gonna be rescued before the trouble starts, all right? Another one is the church's absence in Revelation chapter four to 18. 
When you read Revelation, and a lot of you do because you talk to me about it, the church dominates the first three chapters. I mean, it's the church, it's the church, it's the letters to the seven churches, it's Laodicea and Smyrna, Philadelphia, and all those churches. 19 times in the first three chapters, it mentions church. And then for another 16 chapters, you don't hear of the church until we're coming back in Revelation 19, 11 with Jesus on horses. You see? So there's a strong possibility that the church was raptured before, and that's why you don't hear of the church until we come back with him. And the elders, the 24 elders in Revelation chapter 4, there's a good chance that those men represent the church of Jesus Christ, the church in heaven. So I thought that was a, a, some good evidence. Uh, the promise, third one, the promise to the church of Philadelphia, Revelation 3.10, they were a wonderful church, a church of love, and he said, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, there's not a lot of argument from mid, post, or pre-tribbers that this is talking about the tribulation. But the mid-trib would say that phrase, will keep you from the hour, is to keep you safe inside the hour. Okay, the only problem I have with that is when you read Revelation, there is so much death. Christians are being beheaded. Millions of Christians are being beheaded in the tribulation. So to keep them safe in the tribulation doesn't seem to be consistent. But a better reading would be to keep you outside the hour of testing. He says, I will keep you from outside the hour of testing, the testing that is to come upon the whole earth to test those. And I think that's a better rendering. Uh, this is, I think, one of the stronger arguments. Number four, lack of warnings in the epistles that you're reading. You would think that if the church were going through the tribulation, there would be tremendous warnings in the epistles, in 1 Peter and in 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, to the church. Hey, this is coming, and there's gonna be seals and trumpets and bowls and moon turned to blood, and you're gonna be running for your life. There's none of those warnings. There are warnings about false prophets and false teaching and sinful living. There's even warnings for believers to endure in the persecution that they're in at that moment, but it's absent. It's absolute silence preparing them for all the things that are happening in Revelation chapter 6 to 18. And so I think it's because our destiny is not wrath. Our future is not wrath. Our future is seeing Jesus Christ, you see? Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our destiny's not wrath. Christ took the wrath on the cross, and now our future is seeing the blessed Christ. So this means Christ could come back any moment. The imminence of Christ's return in the scriptures Imminence. It's real easy. It just means Christ could come back at any time. There's nothing that needs to happen. 
Now, the second coming, there's a lot that needs to happen, right? The rapture, the peace treaty, he breaks it, the rise of the Antichrist, all those seals and trumpets and bowls that are opened up and terrible things that happen. There's a lot of things that have to happen for the second coming, but there's nothing that has to happen. They call it a signless event. I think Pastor Phil was talking about that. Could come at any moment. Paul told the Philippians, and believe me, the, the New Testament church lived that way. And there are so many verses that reflect this. Of uh, Philippians 3.20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Thessalonians were so excited to see Christ. You turned to God and they now are waiting for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead and who delivers us from the wrath to come or rescues us from the wrath to come. I wrote a few more this morning as I was eating breakfast. James 5, 7, the coming of the Lord is near. 1 Corinthians 1, 7, we are awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 25, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I can't encourage you, Dean. You see the day, hey, Dean, I just wanna encourage you. Antichrist is coming. You're gonna be running for your life. Probably you'll lose your head. I just wanna encourage you with that, brother. Right? That doesn't seem very encouraging, but say, Dean, hang in there. Christ is coming. We're gonna see him. Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus, right? All right. And then uh, Titus 2, I like verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's incredible. They were not looking for the Antichrist. They were looking for Jesus Christ and his glorious appearing, you see. One more quick reason. I have to use this little pen again. The difference between the rapture and the second coming. And this, I believe, is the strongest argument for a pre-trib rapture. The difference between the rapture and the second coming. Uh, let me see that chart again. All right, the chart, the obvious reason is the rapture is at the beginning and the second coming is at the end in Armageddon, okay? That's the easy part. But listen to this, some differences. In the rapture, Christ comes for his church. In the second coming, Christ comes with his church. In Revelation 19, you can't come with the church until you come what? You're brilliant. In the rapture, Christ meets us in the air, takes us home, and the world gets worse. You understanding that? Tribulation. He comes, takes us home, the world gets worse. And he meets us in the air. Christ does not come to the earth in the rapture. He should be caught up in the air to meet the Lord, okay? In the second coming, Christ comes to the earth with his saints, puts his feet on the Mount of Olives. I think it's Zechariah 12 or 14, both of them, where the mountain splits. And the world gets better. The world gets better because he judges sin and then we go into the thousand-year millennium. Doesn't that make sense so far? All right. In the rapture, we're changed in a moment. In the second coming, it's after the seven years of hard, severe tribulation. So the rapture and the second coming 
are two different events. You might be thinking, just how bad is this tribulation? Mainly, we're gonna touch on this next week, but one writer says, it will be worse than any other time period in history. It will come suddenly and unexpectedly to those who get caught in it. So the tribulation will start after the church is raptured and it will end at Armageddon when Christ comes back in Revelation 19 and we are just shouting victory and he destroys the Antichrist. There's no war. Everybody goes, the war of Armageddon. I bet that's tough when Christ comes back. No, Christ doesn't pull out his sword and start. It says with the word of his mouth, he destroys them all. Right? He doesn't need to fight. He just, word of his mouth, and he destroys them all and throws the false prophet, prophet and the Antichrist into the lake of fire. All right? Really, the tribulation doesn't start at the rapture. And this is just a fine point. But it starts when the Antichrist signs that peace treaty. Daniel 9, 24 to 27. So there could be some time after the rapture where the world just goes absolutely crazy. Next week, we'll see a little bit of that. After the Holy Spirit's restraining power is removed, they just go absolutely crazy. And then maybe the Antichrist comes on the scene a little bit after the rapture. And then right when he signs that peace treaty, that's when the clock starts, seven-year tribulation, all right? And during that time, the Bible says, many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold in that time of the tribulation, Matthew 24, 11. And you might be wondering, will many tribulation saints, when I say tribulation saints, those are the ones who come to Christ after the rapture because there will be thousands of people that come to Christ after the rapture. Will many of those saints lose their salvation? None of those saints will lose their salvation. And that's my next point. The Lord will protect his own from all deception. The Lord will protect his own from all deception. You say, why would that matter to us? I mean, we're gone. Well, we're his own, and if they can be deceived... Maybe we can be deceived and lose our salvation, but they can't, and we won't. Let me show you. And you gotta understand what I'm saying here. I don't, I'm not saying Christians can't be deceived, okay? False prophets and false teaching can really mess our lives up, can really trip us up. That's why the Bible always calls for us to be wise and discerning, Right? Wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I always goof that up. I can't believe I got that right that time. <laughs> there's even a passage in 2 John 8, because there's only one chapter, talking about false prophets, and he says, watch out that you don't lose your reward, but you may get a full reward. So John was saying, listen, you can't lose your salvation, but if you are deceived by these false prophets, you could lose some of the rewards that you have faithfully gained, that you were going to, 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 to cast on the crown, uh, at the feet of Jesus Christ. You could lose some of those, but you can't lose your salvation. And I'll give you some verses on that. Um, I had a friend. Oh, I think this one is on the screen. There's never a time that a true child of God can be so deceived that he loses his salvation. That he loses his salvation. 
I once met a good friend 20 some years ago for breakfast who had changed his view and he now believed that we would go through the, until the middle of the tribulation and then take it. So we meet for breakfast. He totally caught me off guard on that and we order and then he goes, I'm now a mid-tripper and I'm so shook up and he was shook up because he, now he had to go through the tribulation. Revelation 6 to 18, he was just, oh, now we gotta go through that. And then he said, not only that, but I'm so concerned because there's so many Christians will be caught off guard because they think they're going at the beginning. And, and, and they're going to be deceived by the signs and wonders and they're going to fall away and their love's going to grow cold and they're going to be deceived by the Antichrist and they may take the mark on the right hand or the forehead and there's, they, they'll be damned forever and they'll end up in hell. This is at a breakfast place, right? <laughs> what do you do? When that happens, well, first of all, I said to the server, I'll take a, a carryout box, please, uh, because there's no way I was going to eat breakfast. But he was scared. He was fearful. You know, Phil talked, even though all Christians will be taken in the rapture, there will be thousands and thousands of Christians that are saved. And we'll see this next week. They're holding palm branches in their hands and they're shouting victory because they were beheaded but they came out of the tribulation clothed in Christ's righteousness, okay? A lot of them will have their lives ended. Somebody said, I think I'll try to go through the tribulation and I know all the truth. I'm like, you know what? If you do and you become a Christian during the tribulation, you'll probably seal your testimony with your blood. Phil said last week, Luke 21, that parents will deliver up their children. And I found in Mark 13, a parallel passage, that children will deliver up their parents. And Luke 21 says, and some of you they will put to death. So you've got parents turning in their children for not being faithful to the Antichrist, and you've got children turning in their parents for not being loyal, taking the mark and worshiping the Antichrist, and there's, there's gonna be people who are put to death because of their family members turning them in. It's coming. It shows what a hard heart, when you reject the gospel, when you reject Christ's gift, your heart just gets harder and harder and harder. Here are a few verses to give you tremendous confidence that true Christians will not and cannot lose their salvation. Christ promised that he would keep us he would keep us. John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. Amen. Think about that. The Father gives the Son a love gift. And it's the church of Jesus Christ. It's all those who have repented and believed in Christ. And it's the Father's will that Christ loses not one. So when you get to heaven and you're walking along the streets of gold with Jesus, and you say, hey, how many are up here? Or how many are not here that should have been here? And you'll say, none. I didn't lose any. Isn't that incredible? The second one is no one can snatch us from God's hand, John 10, 28. 
and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And he says, my father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them from my father's hand. Remember when Jesus said those who are, I think Paul said this in Romans 8, those who are called, you're also justified. And those who are justified, you're also glorified. Nobody, nobody falls through the cracks when you're talking about God's hand and his protection and our salvation. And then it's impossible for a true believer to be fully deceived. Or if you want to say, we'll never be capital D-E-C-E-I-V-E-D. Sometimes we'll be small D-E-C-E-I-V-E-D. Okay? Matthew 24 says, Then if anyone says to you, look here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you this beforehand. Now I'm gonna show you my brilliant exegetical skills for the next five seconds. Um, look at the phrase, deceive if possible. What does that tell you? It is what? Not it is not possible. You're, you have brilliant exegetical skills too. It's not possible for Christians to be deceived. And when I mean deceived, I mean capital D, where their soul is lost. So I don't care about the false prophets in the tribulation. I don't care about the false teaching or the signs and the wonders or the threats of the Antichrist. No Christian, true Christian, genuine believer will succumb to that. You remember what Jesus said? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me in John 10 and they will not follow another. What about those who fall away and are deceived by the Antichrist during the tribulation? They are professors, but they're not possessors, okay? They're professors in Christ. They're professed a faith in Christ, but they're not, they don't possess, possess a true. That's why Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you continue in my word, or if you remain with me, then you are truly or genuinely my disciples. One of the proofs that someone's a true Christian is if they continue with Christ, okay? No one, and I have a note here, what if I accidentally take the mark on my forehead or hand? I get this asked all the time. Am I eternally condemned? Um, kind of like, what, what if I get a credit card in the, in, the, in the, you know, my debit card in the mail and I activate it? And then I realize I'm, that was the mark. <laughs> Nobody will accidentally take the mark that Revelation 13 talks about when the Antichrist just starts going crazy and he wants people to worship him and he says, if you don't, you're not eating, you're not living in this community unless you worship me. And so they put a mark on the, the uh, hand or the forehead, you see. You won't accidentally do that. I have a note here. No one will accidentally take the mark of the beast. It will be a conscious, intentional, willful act of defiance and it reveals an extremely hard and rebellious heart. You might want to write down Revelation 14, 9. I didn't put it down, but that will kind of tell you if somebody takes the mark, um, what God thinks of that. Jude 24, 
guarantees that we will not lose our salvation to him who is able to keep you from falling or stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without, faith, without fault and with great joy. Paul told his good friend Timothy, right before he was martyred, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted until that day. So don't be afraid. I have a note here and I want you to get this, how dark the world gets because you have the God of heaven and his garrison of angelic warriors guarding you safely as you reach heaven's shores. Listen to what Peter wrote to the suffering uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, according to his great mercies, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now listen to this. To obtain an inheritance. See if you can lose this. That is imperishable, undefiled, fades not away, and is reserved in heaven for you. You who are kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be ready to be revealed to you in the last time. Remember when I said God guards you with an angelic garrison of angels, right? Angelic warriors. That word guards you. He's guarding. No one will make you fall. You are protected by God. Breaks my heart when people come and say we can lose our salvation. I said you didn't do anything to gain. You didn't get, do anything to get your salvation. You can't do anything to lose it. And if there was something I could do to lose it, I would have done it a long time ago. Think about that one. He didn't save you to lose you. He didn't purchase you with his precious blood only for you to be deceived by false Christs or threats of death. He didn't run after you with a strong and unfailing love only to have you snatched away by Satan's strong deceptions. My most favorite portion of scripture, absolutely my most famous portion, is Romans 8. It's the anthem of security. I am confident that if I die fast or slow, this portion of God's word will be on my lips. So, Jan, you see my lips moving. I am quoting Romans 8, or I need water. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I say it to myself when I'm fearful and joyful or doubtful, and it needs to be the anthem of every heart in this room that knows Christ. You remember my friend that I met for breakfast who was so shook up? I choked. I, I, I should have read him this portion of scripture, but I choked. Romans 8, it says, who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he says, for I am persuaded. Now stop right there. Paul says, I'm convinced I am so convinced that it doesn't matter what's going on in this broken world or it doesn't matter what's going on in my family or I'm waiting for tests from the doctor or at work or in my life. I am convinced of this very thing. Listen to this. That neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Oh, is that not the most wonderful passage? And I wish I would have shared that with him. Because you know what? I would have said this. Let's eat our breakfast, dear friend. We have nothing to fear. And either do you if you know Christ as your Savior. So we can have great hope because we'll not be here during the tribulation. We can have great hope because the Lord will protect his own from all deception. And we can have great hope next week. The gospel message will ultimately prevail. Matthew 24 says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And you're thinking, how in the world is that going to happen with the Antichrist killing everyone who names the name of Christ? Come back next week, and you'll find out. Let's all stand. Praise the Lord. I hope you're encouraged this morning. If you don't know Christ, we have people up here who will pray with you and who will explain the gospel to you. Come up to me. I'm probably in the commons. Come up to me and say, I don't know Christ and I don't really wanna be in that tribulation. And it sounds like if I know Christ, I won't and I'll have eternal life. Yes, you're right on all those. So come to Christ today. We can help you up here. We can pray with you if you have needs, all right? Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It's amazing what your word does to the heart of a Christian. Father, it gives us hope and joy and strength. We can't do much about the world falling apart, but God, we can fix our eyes on you and await your coming and be salt in this earth and, be, and, and lead people to Christ and shine our light in the midst of a a crooked and a perverse generation. So God, we give you all the praise. Let this sermon live out in the hearts of every single person who is watching this week. For it's in Christ's precious name. Amen. Have a good week.